Well, good morning, good morning and uh, greetings in Jesus' name this morning. It's been said already, but welcome back to Roman and Lucy. It's good to see you here today again after being gone for a couple of weeks. And it's also good to see Willie and Emma here this morning. My eyes almost popped out of my head a little bit ago, so it's good to, good to see you here. I just want to say this yet. <clears throat> if you want an enjoyable place to sit and sing on a Sunday morning, I think that's about the best spot in the house right down there, right in front of those young men. Really, really enjoy that. Enjoy hearing the, the way that they express themselves in song, hitting the notes, singing bass and tenor, a couple different parts. Really, really enjoy that. So keep it up, young men. It's much better than in the back, by the way. So if you want to try it, you're, I'm sure you're welcome to do that uh, sometime. Today, I'd, I want to focus on laying up treasures in heaven. <clears throat> and I have a couple of initial questions here that I'd like us to think about. What are things that are eternally significant? How can I make sure that I'm doing those things? Should I be doing less earthly things and more heavenly things? Which is which? What is what? What's the connection between the two? These are some of the questions I'd like to look at today as we look at laying up treasures in heaven. We talk a lot about not storing up treasures on earth, and that's appropriate. Very valuable discussion, very important. But what about focusing on storing up treasures in heaven. What does that look like, and what are some examples of this? And I want you to be thinking about personal examples that you have. I'd love to hear more from you in the testimony time. Um, This is a subject that can't possibly be covered fully in a few short minutes today. I have a few thoughts, a few ideas, but I'd really love to hear from you uh, in the testimony time on this as well. So three questions initially here I want to explore. First of all, why should I care about storing up treasures in heaven? Secondly, does laying up treasures in heaven affect whether or not I am saved? And then third, how do I lay up treasures in heaven? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. This is the main passage that we can find, or we could say the primary passage about laying up treasures in heaven. Jesus talks about it right here. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, and I'll be looking at verses 19 through 21 here this morning. And Jesus is very clear. He doesn't leave anything to doubt, anything to question. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, lay up is the idea of amassing something, or reserving something, or storing, or heaping, heaping together. The treasure, the word treasure here is the idea of a a deposit, particularly meaning wealth. It indicates anything that is extra above what is needed for survival, or something that's disposable, something that you can decide what to do with. Think in terms of what you have 
above and beyond after your basic needs are met. And in these verses, we are faced with an option of what to do with our extra. And I find it interesting here this morning that Jesus doesn't say, don't lay up treasures on earth because they're not really yours anyway. Although that's, that's a true statement. He doesn't say, don't lay up treasures on earth because you shouldn't have fun with what you have extra. And he doesn't say, don't lay up treasures on earth because it's wrong to have a lot of excess. Now, there may be some truth in those statements, but instead he says, in essence, if I can break it down to a very basic way of saying it, that anyone in this world could understand, believer, unbeliever alike, he says it this way. Don't lay up treasures on earth because it's a bad investment choice. Don't lay up treasures on earth because it's a bad investment choice. Really? What would Jesus know about investing? He didn't have any extra. How would he know if I should invest in the stock market or in real estate or in a savings account? But instead, Jesus offers us universal investment advice, and it goes like this. I want you to think about this. Don't invest your wealth here on earth because there's two things that will happen to that. If you do that, there's two things that will ultimately happen. Either it will be corrupted or thieves will steal it. That's the only options. That's the only options. Now take a moment and think about the wealth or the extra or the abundance that you have. And don't say that you don't have extra because you do. I do. One of three things will ultimately happen to that extra. One of three things. Either you will give it away or it will be corrupted, and that means wasted or used up in some way, or it will be stolen. That's it. That's all that can happen to it. But then Jesus offers us a wonderful alternative. And when I look at this alternative this morning, I admit that my flesh cringes as I think about this alternative. But it's the best investment advice that you could get. And it goes like this. You can store it up in heaven where it will never be corrupted and will never be stolen. So why should you care about laying up treasures in heaven? Well, it's the best thing that you can do with your stuff. It's the best investment advice ever given. Imagine an investment option in which your wealth cannot be corrupted, cannot be used up, cannot be stolen, no matter what happens to the stock market, to real estate, to inflation, the price of gold, the price of Bitcoin, and the list goes on. And then Jesus makes an interesting and very telling observation here in verse 21. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, we are accustomed, I am accustomed, as I read the Bible, of, of hearing the Bible explain that I will live out of where my heart is. And I think we understand that. For example, out of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And Jesus said, from the heart comes evil thoughts and evil actions. But it seems here that in this verse, Jesus flips the script just a bit. Because Jesus indicates here that your heart follows your treasure, not the other way around. Well, you might say it doesn't really matter whether your heart follows your treasure or your treasure follows your heart. 
They're, bo they're both going to end up at the same place. But I believe what Jesus is after here is that we shouldn't trust, I shouldn't trust my heart when my heart says it's in the right place. We should not trust, you should not trust, I should not trust my heart when my heart says that it is in the right place. Rather, what I should do, what we should do, is check where our treasure is and then allow that to help us understand where our heart is. Now, how will I know where my treasure is? I'm sure there's some examples that you can think of, and it'd be interesting to have some further discussion on this because I just have a few things to think about, and I'm sure that you're thinking as well. How will I know where my treasure is? How often do I check my savings account balance versus my balance that's in heaven? Now you might say, how do you check your balance that's in heaven? I think there's ways of doing that. What do I think about when I have free time and my mind wanders? What do I dream of doing if only I had more time or more money or more talents or more skills? In those dreams, do I use that extra money, extra time, extra talents, and extra skills for my benefit or for the benefit of others and the glory of God? So why should I care about laying up treasures in heaven? If I lay it up on earth, I will eventually lose it. We've seen that. We've observed that. That's just the way it works, and it will be worthless. If I lay it up in heaven, I will ultimately keep it, and it will retain its value forever. But there's something beyond this. Another question that, that this leads to, and that is, does laying up treasure in heaven affect whether or not I am saved? And that leads us to the next question that I'd like to look at today. Does laying up treasure in heaven affect whether or not I am saved? Now, I want to be clear on a couple of things here initially. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that you need to lay up treasures in heaven in order to be saved. And it most definitely does not say anything about what volume of treasures you need to have stored up in heaven in order to stay saved. But I think that Scripture makes it very clear that this is the wrong question to ask, and it's actually a carnal question, if you think about it. Must I lay up treasures in heaven in order to be saved? What's at the heart of that question? Is that the heart of the question a desire to serve God or a desire to serve myself? And yet, I find myself from time to time thinking in that way and asking those types of questions, and I want to challenge that thinking this morning. The passage here in Matthew 6 points out that this is the wrong question to ask, and, and it mentions that in a couple of different ways here. One is when it says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In other words, if your excess wealth, your treasure on earth is not in heaven, but on earth, then your heart is also on earth and not in heaven. Is a heart that, it, that is on earth and not in heaven a saved heart? Take a look at verses 22 through 24 here in this passage as well. It goes on to say in Matthew 6, verse 22, The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great 
is that darkness. And I think the idea here behind this passage is a little bit difficult to understand as I read it. But I think the idea here is that if you have an evil eye, that is a greedy, selfish, ungiving eye, then your body is full of darkness. If you have a single eye or a healthy eye or an eye that is generous, selfless, and giving, then your whole body is full of light. So from this, I think we can conclude to some degree at least that to the extent that you are greedy or generous seems to be a very real indication of how spiritually healthy you are in the rest of your life. And so I think it's fair to say that laying up treasure in heaven does not save you, but choosing to not lay up treasures in heaven is is an indication of where your heart is, and it's not a good indication. And so I think the first two questions, why should I care about laying up treasures in heaven, and does laying up treasures in heaven affect whether or not I am saved, are closely connected. And we might even say, you know, that first question isn't, that's not a good question to ask. Of course we should care about laying up treasures in heaven. I mean, that's, 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 a, that's a bad question. But I want to talk about it. I want to address it here this morning because I, I, I think it ties in closely with the theology of the greater culture that we hear around us, this idea that I can be saved without it affecting how I live. I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. Nowhere is there an indication that you can be saved without it affecting how you live. I believe that that is false. Salvation does not come by good works true, but salvation results in good works. And so the first question, I think, is a common question that we hear today. And to be honest with you, it's one that I find from time to time in my own heart. And so I want to work against that and speak out against that in my own life as well. Third question that I want to address this morning is, how do I lay up treasures in heaven? And again, I would love to hear some practical things from you. I think you have lots of thoughts and ideas on this portion. Probably the first thing that comes to our mind is giving money. That's probably the most obvious one. And I think think that's the most obvious interpretation of the word treasure here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and 24 that we just looked at, particularly excess money. Now, I know that there's some quizzers here this morning, and I'm wondering if anyone can quote for us 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. Anyone? See some people pointing, but I don't see anybody raising their hands. Maybe if I would say it this way, according to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, maybe that would, maybe that would help. All right, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'm assuming that you've memorized that already. I think some of it is memorized later on, but I'm assuming you've probably memorized that portion. 1 Timothy chapter 6, and those of you that are quizzing, you probably don't have to open your Bible. You can run along with me in your mind. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Why? Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Is it important? 
yeah, it seems to be quite important. In verse 17 there, it says, charge them. And the idea there is to command them. Command them that are rich among you. Don't ask them politely or suggest to them. And be careful how we do this. But Paul is saying here, command them. This is not an option. And I think I'm safe to say this morning that we would, that all of us fit in this category, that we are all rich in this world. I don't think there's any question. I'll leave it at that. Charge them, command them. And what should they not do? What are the two things, multiple answer question, what are the two things that the rich should not do here in this passage? And they're the very two things that we tend to do, that I tend to do, that I find in my own heart, that I find tempting from time to time. And that is, first of all, to be arrogant. Isn't it crazy to be arrogant about what we have, about the wealth that we have? As if, as if I created it all myself, as if I got it all myself, as if God did not hand it all to me. Have you ever been arrogant about your wealth? And I, I think I'm looking over at the men's side because I think men, we, com- we tend to compare ourselves or think of our value as men based on what we earn. And I'm going to make that very general statement. I'm not saying that we're all like that 100%. I'm going to make a very general statement that we tend to compare ourselves and consider our value based on on what we earn or what we have. And when we have more, the more we have, it seems like the more we tend to be arrogant. At least that's how I found for myself. The second thing here it says is also that they should not put their hope in wealth. Have you ever put your hope in wealth? Have you ever rested easier at night because you have a certain amount of money in the savings account or in the stock market or wherever it might be? Don't, they should not be arrogant and they should not put their hope in wealth. If you have excess money and you're not arrogant and you're not putting your, your hope in wealth, I think you're ready for what God wants to do in your heart. These are the two things that are so tempting for us who are rich in this world. So those are two things they should not do. But now what should they do? They should put their hope in God who provides us everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good. They are to be rich in good deeds, and they are to be generous and willing to share. Uh, That's in the end of 18. Ready to distribute, meaning generous. Willing to communicate means ready to share. Quickly ready to share. Now, why? Why should the rich do that? Why shouldn't they just be greedy and keep it all for themselves? Because if they do this, they will lay up. If they, if they don't, if they're not arrogant or put their hope in wealth, if they put their hope in God, they do good, they're rich in, in good deeds, and they're generous and willing to share, then they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. Sounds like sometime in the future, right? And that they may lay hold on eternal life. <clears throat> now, hang on, Paul. We know... Don't you think Paul knew when he was writing Timothy here that salvation is not based on how much money you give, that it's a personal belief and faith in Christ? And yet it's very clear here, and I think we know this, there's something about generosity and the way that we handle what we have that is directly linked, I shouldn't say directly linked, I'm going to say it this way, that is a fruit of salvation, that is a fruit or a result of salvation. 
We could look at Matthew 19, verse 21, Jesus and the rich young man. The young man comes to Jesus. He has a good question. Good question. How do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus replies, keep the commandments. Of course, the young man says he has. Or no, the young, the young man says which ones, which commandments? Interesting question. Okay, because you know what? If we can narrow it down to two or three commandments and I can just keep those, I'm, I'm good. Well, Jesus elaborates here, naming five of the Ten Commandments that deal with relationship with man. Now, why would he do that? I think Jesus understood this man's heart, and I believe this man already understood God's position. So Jesus goes straight to the commandments that deal with relationship with man, ending with, love thy neighbor as thyself. To this, the young man states that he has kept these from his youth. And think about it. These commands are pretty easy to measure. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't kill. Don't commit adultery. I can easily measure that. Check, check those boxes and I'm good to go. But then the young man says, what else do I need to do? And Jesus touches the heart of the matter. He says this, sell your possessions and give to the poor. And then you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Now, I want to dig into this a bit, because in my way of thinking, I would say, now, hang on. Wait just a minute. Let's make sure that this man doesn't just randomly give his money to anyone. Let's make sure he gives it to a good, a good organization or to kingdom work. Or let's let him keep working in his business and making more money so that he has more to give. But Jesus understood the heart. Jesus understood the heart. And the heart of this man was such that his treasure, his heart was with his treasure, and his treasure was on earth, and Jesus knew that. So Jesus didn't focus on where he should give his money. Jesus didn't focus on the amount of money, but he focused on the heart of the matter. And am I so arrogant this morning that I think somehow that I can have great wealth and be exempt from this same issue, the heart of the matter that we see here this morning? And then in one of the most, the most sad statements in Scripture that we have, the man turned away sorrowful because he had great wealth. He walked away from his opportunity for salvation because of his great wealth. He made a choice that day to deliberately choose earthly wealth over heavenly wealth. Now, we don't know what happened. Maybe he came back later. Maybe he came back after Jesus died. We don't, we don't know the end of that story. But that's where the story ends in the gospel there. So giving money is, is a big one. It's probably the first one that we think about. But there's other ways, I believe, that we can lay up treasures in heaven as well. And that, another way is giving time. Turn to Matthew 25. Matthew 25, and I want to look at verses 31 to 46. And I want you to scan down there a minute and just refresh your mind on this story. Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. And it talks here about when the Son of Man, when Jesus returns and he separates the sheep from the goats. And he talks about what the deciding factor was here. There's a couple observations that I'd like to make here this morning. The sheep in this parable, in this story, deliberately gave food, water, 
clothes, shelter, and health care to those who needed it. They deliberately gave to those who could not help themselves. They did it without the praise of men or with, without understanding that the way that they were treating others was indicative of how they would treat Christ. I, I love where it says, when did we do this, Lord? When did we do this? We didn't even know we were doing it. It's like, it's like it just bubbled out from inside. It's like it was, it was just part of who they were. They weren't doing it deliberately to get some kind of reward. It was just who they were. Isn't that incredible? They personally went and they gave. And what stands out here to me this morning is that these sheep in this passage, they did not just throw money at a situation. And I want to be careful how I word that. But they didn't say, you know what, I'm going to give money to that person that's poor and then I can go on and do my own thing. There can be value in that. But that's not where they ended. They personally went and they personally gave and they personally interacted with these people. And that indicates to me that they took time. It took effort. It took their valuable time in order to meet those needs. And the parable, this parable does not seem to indicate that the giving of resources was the primary thing, but it seems to indicate that the giving of time was the primary thing. And I also want us to note this morning that Jesus gave all of his time to seek and to save the lost. And one of the things that I find in my own life, in my own thought, and I don't know how you think about these things, but one of the things that I find is I find myself thinking, well, I will give money and I don't need to give time. And I, th- I, don't, I don't think that's the right way of looking at it. I think, yes, there's value in giving money, but I think we also are called to give time and, and relationships in that way. There's something about giving of our time. The third thing is giving talents. And what I mean by that is skills. I know the Bible talks about talents in terms of money. What I'm thinking there is skills, giving talents, life, or will. And I put these three together because I think they're kind of along the same line. I want to turn back to Matthew 16 and look at a couple verses here in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16, I'll read verses 24 through 26, and it goes like this. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever will save his life will lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for Jesus' sake will find it. And, and for a number of years, I did not like this passage. And I, and I still wrestle with it to some degree. Yes, I want to be saved, but really to give my whole life up for Christ? But the irony here this morning is this. If we keep our lives for ourselves, if we are selfish and greedy and arrogant, we immediately lose our lives. Now and in eternity. But if we give of ourselves for the sake of Christ, if we are generous and caring and loving, 
and God-focused and others-serving, we have already gained our lives back and have eternal life. And so in reality, while Jesus' statement requires sacrifice here, it's also a statement of freedom. Because we already know intuitively, we know just because we're human, we understand that happiness does not come by holding everything tightly, but rather true fulfillment comes in giving of ourselves for the highest cause possible. And as we, we, we observe that, in, not only in, in believers, but in unbelievers, in the culture around us, there's, there's this drive, okay, I know that being greedy and being selfish won't make me happy. Things won't make me happy. People know that intuitively. We might lose sight of that from time to time, but people know that. That's God ingrained in all people. They know that that does not bring happiness. And so what do we observe people typically doing? They try to find the highest good that they can find and work for that. And this morning, the highest cause that there is is the cause of Jesus Christ. And anything else falls short of that. And so we already know as humans that that is what brings true fulfillment. And so this morning, it's just a matter of, will I actually do that? Will I actually live that out? You can also look at Matthew 19, 29, where Jesus says, Anyone who has given anything, whether it's things, relationships, family, etc., will receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. And of course, we have the example of Jesus. I don't know if it's ever recorded that Jesus gave money to the poor. I don't know if he ever had money to give to the poor. But he gave his whole life and his all, all that he was, to bring us salvation. So I want to make some conclusions this morning and a few other questions for us to think about. And again, this is just the start, in my mind, the start of you thinking about these things maybe in a deeper way. Or maybe it's just a reminder. Maybe these are things you've already been thinking about. Probably is. As believers, this is something we think about quite a bit. A couple of other questions that I thought about. And one of those questions is this. Isn't it greedy of us to want to lay up treasures in heaven for ourselves? But I don't think that's the point. I think the point that Jesus provides is clear. He who loses his life for my sake and the sake of the gospel will save it. Giving up what I can see to gain what I cannot see is the ultimate example, not of, not of greed, but of trust. Trust that God will do what he says he will do. Trust that God has the power to keep safe what I commit to him. wonder if any quizzer could spout off 2 Timothy 1.12. Any takers? Picking on you guys this morning. All right. 2 Timothy 1.12, Paul says this, I know, I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day or until that day. The ultimate sign of trust, not of greed, but of trust that God would do what he says he would do. 
The second thought I'd like to leave us with this morning is that we can all lay up treasures in heaven. You don't have to be rich to have your giving count. And this, this reality was communicated by Jesus in Mark chapter 12 when he observed people casting money into the treasury. He observed the rich who cast in much. He observed the widow who cast in two small coins. And what did Jesus conclude? He concluded something way different than what I would have concluded and probably than what you would have concluded. He concluded that the widow has put in more than the rest of them combined. Why was that? Because they were giving to impress others? Because they were giving with the wrong attitude? Because they were giving to the wrong organization? Maybe these statements are true, but that's not what Jesus says. He says that she gave more because they gave out of their abundance, out of their excess, with plenty left over, while she gave out of her poverty. All she had to live on, she gave it all. So Jesus is very clear that you don't have to be rich in order to have your giving count for eternity. And I also want to be clear here that it's not only giving money that is laying up treasures in heaven. That, that's one aspect, but that's not nearly the only aspect. And I believe in God's economy, the child who by faith gives of his time to help others is just as valuable as the businessman who gives lots of money. And I believe in God's economy that the widow or the elderly person who by faith prays fervently for God's will to be done or for revival or for the success of the church of Christ is just as valuable as the pastor who stands behind the pulpit. And I believe in God's economy. The mother who by faith raises her little children to love God is just as valuable as the great evangelist who thunders God's truth to a dying world. And so I believe that the Bible, what Christ says, what Paul says, makes it very clear to us this morning that anyone, anyone can lay up treasures in heaven. But how does laying up treasures in heaven relate to personal salvation? And here's where I'd like to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where Floyd read this morning. Let's turn there together. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I'd like to focus on verses 10 through 15. He read it already. I won't read it again, but it mentions there that Paul indicates that there's already a foundation and that we can build upon it. And I want to make this clear this morning that without the foundation of Jesus Christ, there is no such thing as treasures in heaven. There's nothing to build on. Building on another foundation or building on no foundation at all is a fatal mistake that can never be recovered from. So first and foremost, we must have the foundation of Jesus Christ. That's very clear. Verse 12 explains how what we do with our lives translates into building on top of the foundation of Christ. And it indicates here that if we are intentional, if we are serious about this, if we care about this, we are actually able to choose what building material we use to build upon that foundation. We can choose from gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw. Gold, silver, and precious stones can survive most fires, While wood may not burn immediately, but will burn eventually, and hay and straw will burn 
instantly. And it indicates here that at the end of life, on that day, our work will be tested by fire. If someone builds with gold, silver, or precious stones, and that work survives, he will receive a reward. If a man builds exclusively with wood, hay, or straw, his life's work will go up in flames, and all he has ever done will be lost. If he has the foundation of Christ, it indicates here he will still be saved, but only as one barely escaping through the flames. I want to think about this in an object lesson. And I want you to list, I want you to call out things that uh, are building with wood, hay, or straw. Give me some examples. What are examples of building with something that will burn? Say it again. Okay, building it with straw. So what, what's an what's a example from that? Okay, real estate. What else? It's where the rubber meets the road, so this is pretty important. Okay, building to be seen. Whew. So doing the right thing, but doing it for the wrong, wrong reason. Okay? My own benefit. What about knowledge? What about gaining knowledge? One of the things I thought about at Bible quizzing yesterday, is there any value in memorizing scripture if you don't follow it, if you don't do what it says? And I, I, I think we would say there, there is. There's value in hiding God's word in my heart, even if I don't follow it perfectly, sure. But ultimately, knowledge that's not acted upon will burn, right? I think that's right. Any, any other thoughts real quick here? All right. Now, I have a lighter. And because I know that there's lots of little boys who might do this at home, I'm not actually going to light it. But this is the idea. Okay, you, you know how fast this piece of paper would burn if I were to connect that. How quickly it would burn. And just to illustrate, I'm going to tear this thing in shreds. This is what happens to the treasures that we lay up on earth. Gone. Can you imagine your disappointment if on that day, everything that you worked for would go up in smoke. Even if you were, even if you were to be saved because you're, you put on the right foundation, everything would go up in smoke. On the other hand, I think this can illustrate what it would be like to build with gold, silver, or precious stones. It stands. What if, can you imagine your delight on that day if everything you've done gets tried with fire and it stands? If that building that you built stands, wouldn't that be incredible? 
So I want you to sit down this morning and consider what you are building with. Write it down. What are you doing in your life today that is building with gold, silver, and precious stones? What are you doing in your life today that is building with wood, hay, or straw that literally will not last outside of this life? And sometimes the the lines are blurred. They're kind of gray. Because it's not about the stuff. It's not about the time. It's not about the money. It's not about the talents. It's ultimately about what we do with it. You can't just say, get rid of all the stuff. Get rid of all the money. Get rid of all the talents. Get rid of all the time. You're going to have excess. You're going to have extra. It's about what you do with it. So I think the bottom line is this. We all have excess. Something that has been given to us that we don't need for ourselves. Whether it's excess money, time, or talents. And we only have two options of things to do. Keep them for ourselves, take pride in them, and eventually lose them. Or we can give them freely to God and others, recognizing that we only have them because they were given to us and end up keeping them in the end. I'm sure there's many other examples that you can think of, of ways to lay up treasures in heaven. I would really be curious this morning if you would have an example during testimony time of something that you've observed somebody else do, maybe something that you've done to lay up treasures in heaven. Let's kneel for prayer.